Good evening or afternoon or morning, depending on uh, where you're listening to us from. Um, it's uh, episode 19 of Hoarding Stuff or Hoarding Stuff. I um, get that now. I'm I get it. You get it, David. Eventually. So Eventually. it's about hoarding stuff as in the physical hoarding yes. stuff and hoarding stuff as in talking about hoarding Having stuff. Because stuff about hoarding. I know. It's only episode 19. <laughs> I'm so glad you've got her. It helped. So, yes, that's David and myself, Heather. Um, and tonight we're going to talk about trauma mm. or the effect of trauma on your body because that's what I've been learning about and it really is informing my um, way of talking to people and training people mm -hmm. so um, because I the majority of I would say the majority of people that I work with certainly um, because for anybody who doesn't know at the moment I'm doing a really big project with um, Birmingham City Council in the United Kingdom which is in the middle for anybody that doesn't live in the United Kingdom. It's the lands um, of the mids. The, yes, the midlands. And uh, working with, um, well, it was supposed to be 100 people who hoard, hoarded, mm. um, but we're, we're sort of hitting about 300 so far, and we've got, we've got another couple of years to How go. How did it go to 300 from 100? I know, I know. There's a lot of people in Birmingham. Wow. Uh, wow. Well, if you take the extrapolated big word, the extrapolated statistics for people who have hoarding issues, it's mm -hmm. between um, two to five percent of the population. So that's anything from 79,000 to one point, no, 120,000, sorry, mm. uh, looking at Birmingham's population. So 300 is a mere drop in the ocean. I'm just wondering, because I was told that figure some time back, and uh, I was also told that those are only the, the reported cases of no, um, absolutely and 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 they are extrapolated because hardly mm -hmm. anybody still i mean it's better now but hardly anybody still collects that data so right, even right. if even if people are working with people it's very difficult to get the data i once contacted the chief coroner's office which isn't an easy task um and just asked and asked and asked and said, please, could you tell me, do you keep the statistics of how many people, how many people die mm. due to hoarding, um, hoarded homes? Yeah, um, and, and the that, issues around that. That's it. Well, I thought there might be a statistic that's kept like that, and it would have just been useful. Um, but they came back finally after I nagged a few times and said, I haven't heard from you. Um, and they said, no, we, <laughs> we don't keep it. I wonder if the... the so, ONS or the you know the Office of National Statistics. I don't think do. so because because the statistics have got to come from somewhere. So the coroners keep the statistics mm, of death. Right, right. Um, the fire service, some fire services keep statistics about how many hoarded homes they have visited, mm -hmm. and they would probably be able to tell you how many hoarding deaths have happened in their jurisdiction. You know, in their area. Mm. Um, because every time there's a death due to hoarding, there is always um, a backlash in that local authorities right, look at their policies again and yeah. go, why did this? Why did this happen? But otherwise, you know, it, it, nobody really keeps the stats. And so one of the things um, 
from the project we've you know we've we've got all these statistics and we've got these people but also west midlands fire which is also obviously in the lands of the mid mm-hmm. they um they do keep statistics around their visits but of course they're just a fire service they don't join them up with social services and then you know crossover and housing and other agencies so what they that, that, that isn't that isn't done I know I know well this is once again part of this big Birmingham project is Mm. one side of it is helping people who have these issues but the big side of it is training and so that's sort of how I started so just I'm just just going to put this cap on okay right uh so I can I can take it off so I can take my hat off to you right (laughs) because it's valuable work it is valuable work and hopefully, uh, if you do well in Birmingham, then it'll filter out to other areas as well. Well, that's Either what we team. hope. Yeah, that's the idea, because Birmingham, I still think it's the largest council in Europe. It used to be. Um, so as a single council rather than mm-hmm. the boroughs in London that are s- separate. And you know um, that we, we actually have people from overseas that listen to this podcast as well as in the UK so it would be fascinating to know what the figures are like there and if they're kept in the states and Australia and Canada I I don't know if they are I know that um those countries do obviously do have people who hoard and they write about it and they've got Mm. experts that do things um and all those countries have done some towards it but the country, oh. I, I think we said this the last time, the countries I would like to hear as yep. well from Scandinavia. Right. I know that Scandinavia right. always, they always seem to have things sorted. So I would love to know how Scandinavia deal with the, their population of people. I, I think it would be, I mean, you know, so we have people in the States, quite a few people in the States. And of course, we, I suppose the person to ask about that would be I'm just just getting there to say I can say the name, really. <laughs> Randy O'Frost. I know. Dr. Randy um, O'Frost. Dr. Randy O'Frost. I've always said it three times, he should appear. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously it doesn't work like I that. wish he would, because he's such a he's a big guy, is it? Mind you, he's, so are you, Dave. Yeah. So are you about the same height as him? I beg your pardon, madam. Paul. Um, yeah, no, um, I don't know. But uh, it would be fascinating if anybody is in different areas to the UK or even in the UK, if they know about statistics and figures and that. Yes, no, it is because, I mean, people don't like to be reduced to, to statistics. However, no. when you can show that a large percentage of people, I mean, I think... Some statistics, when they said if this if these statistics are sort of proved, then yeah. that makes hoarding as prevalent as depression. So, well, you can't do your project yeah. unless there's a need for it, and the way that you you come up with a need for it is through numbers exactly. and statistics. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. So just remember that all those numbers and statistics are actually individuals. Well, that's what I mean, and it does. You know, you, it's really hard to you need statistics for exactly what you said and to prove a need and to find funding and things like that but equally then you are sort of juggling the lives of people mm. who are really struggling 
you yeah. know and so it's like what do you it, it's a foot in both camps it's 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 hard but, but that's so that, life that that's that, just no it's true it's finding a balance where where you can prove to people that that this is done for a good reason not a bad one i often feel that the powers that be see hoarders as a, a homogenous group like the borg from star trek <laughs> right we, we we have a hive mind well it is it's, and, well that sort of brings me back to the training yeah I do, because for me um as i said cloud's end is just me it's a very we're, uh, you know a small operation so how can I help to make the biggest impact with this project that mm-hmm. the council have trusted me with, which I'm really thrilled, you know, and delighted and privileged to do. Yeah. But training is so, so important. But that training is really, it's, it's, it's getting people to change the way they think because this is, and so this is back to trauma and why I wanted yeah. to talk about it today. Because I think everybody understands the word trauma and we throw about the word traumatic quite a lot. And I was traumatized by this. And, mm-hmm. But I don't think as many people know how trauma actually affects people okay. um, and why and where it comes from. And that is the difference because I still feel that people think trauma is a bit of a choice. If you know what I mean, you know, you've, you've been traumatized by an experience, but you can bounce straight out of it. It's like, I'm traumatised today, well, but tomorrow I'll be you know, fine. It's funny because um, I've been on antidepressants now for 20-odd years. And um, I haven't had a diagnosis of anything at all. Um, so I rang the doctor the other day and said, oh, it might be good to have a diagnosis. And, and she put me in touch with this person who said, a diagnosis won't help you. I said, but if you go for an MOT, right, your car, you turn up and they go, well, normally we diagnose your car for the faults and problems that there are with the car. But today we're not going to do that. We're just going to hit it with spanners and hammers until hopefully we get it to work again. So yeah, it's crazy. Speaking, speaking to the doctor, she said, oh, it's, it's, it's low mood that you're suffering from. It, it, that's it. That was that was it. It's low mood. So, so it. She's obviously not taken on board the fact that I've got the hoarding as well. Yeah. And all of these other aspects. It's just kind of a simplified thing. And I think that's how people see trauma. Yes, that's... And, and, and but this is why I, when I first started reading about it, I was just really excited because I realised that that was one of those really good lines that runs through, not just I'm interested in it because of hoarding behaviour. Mm-hmm. But it runs through so much else. So, so basically what I've learned is that trauma is a physical or a physiological reaction that we can't stop. So it's not like you can say, oh, no, I decided I'm not, I'm not a traumatizable person because you can't stop it. We've got a, an autonomic nervous system, right. which is autonomic. That means it can't be switched off because that's what keeps us alive. Mm-hmm. But that nervous system is linked to our ancient brain or our lizard brain. So the reptile bit. Yes, which which the reptile bit, if you like, is always on the lookout for danger. It doesn't look yeah. for safety. It looks for danger. And if it picks up the danger signals, it does not take time for you to consider it 
mentally. And so the example that I use in training is, if this is a simple example, but it shows what I'm trying to explain is if you're mm-hmm. walking up the road with your friend chatting and quite calm, happy, and then somebody behind you pips their horn really loudly, you will jump. And right. you'll also get a physical reaction. You'll feel a little bit like, <gasps> you know, and if you are noticing what was happening to you, your breathing will become shallow. Mm-hmm. Your um, digestive system stops. Your ability to hear and cognitively understand things gets much it's fuzzier. Re- reduced, yeah. Totally reduced. Because that <gasps> feeling is cortisol flashing into your body and adrenaline because you need to run or fight. It's your fight or flight that kicks in way before you turn round and then go, oh, it's that little boy that just ran in the middle of the road, nothing to do with me. Mm. But that physical hit, if you like, is still there. It doesn't instantly disappear. Your body registers that little mini trauma first. And I think that's the other thing is that we go through lots and lots of mini traumas every single day. Um, and I'm, I understand they mount up. You know, well, also, it's... you might, what might have, because the other thing is, sometimes trauma gets, gets sort of embedded when you're very young. Mm. It could have been something that happened to you as a child. And as a child, you have not got that capacity to recount the story about the car horn that pipped you won't see that that gut flash reaction of fear that you had to deal with at a very young age so it gets buried and then if you have another trauma that's quite severe later on in life or as you get older Mm. such as bereavement which is you know this is the sort of it joins up with that previous one And Mm. so what happens then is your nervous system is registering danger, danger, danger. You're not safe anymore. And so what you will then do, that's when your mind comes in and goes, we can't have this. This cortisol will kill us. You know, Mm. we can't stay in this state of agitation. We need some calm. And that calm could be alcohol. It could be self-harming. It could be drugs. Or it could be acquiring things. So it could be down to that that element of soothing. Yeah, totally. Which I think a lot of people, if you've had parents who didn't teach you how to soothe yourself Mm. effectively, then it it leads to those kind of looking for answers outside. Yes, because your brain has got to put a story to something. It has to try and make sense of what you're doing. Otherwise, you would just be totally driven by outside forces so your brain will give what you do a logical story i've got a horrible feeling that i am actually driven by outside Outside forces forces quite a lot (laughs) that could be that could be true (laughs) and they're coming to get you well well, that's one of my favorite t-shirts actually it's like uh, you're just jealous because the voices talk to me (laughs) just in terms of like you know the the kind of um Things that we're told are, are the, the way to live a, a proper life, uh, a good life, and these are the things that you need to achieve or mm. do, yeah, or or interact with to, to have a proper life. 
And uh, and I think that in itself can set up traumas. I mean, not you know, I'm not taken away from severe trauma. Um, it's a kind no, of like, like you a, said, it can be a slow chipping away effect. But but then when you put it into the broad context of help or support yeah. worker or housing or whoever is coming into your life, then after you've created a nice nest, you've created a nice way of dealing with your anxiety and mm -hmm. your um, your feeling of not being safe, then a support worker comes in to help, in inverted commas, which is genuine and meant. But yep. first of all, that support worker will also be put in a state of fight or flight when they enter a hoarded home, because a hoarded home makes people anxious. Mm. And this is also an ancient drive that does this. So we're all going back to our, you know, our lizard brain isn't quite properly connected up to our, the new bits of our brain that we've acquired over the years. Um, and that's why there's a disconnect for these. You know, it hasn't wired itself in where the brain goes, ah, oh, yeah, but that isn't a saber-toothed tiger, so you're all right. So in the case of people entering a pre-hoarded home as an outsider, what's happening to them is the, the same lizard brain's looking for danger. Mm -hmm. Hoard is dangerous because it's not you're not able to escape from a hoarded home. You can't see symmetry. You can't remember the layout of the land. That means danger. So that so you've got a support worker that's going whoop, 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 and danger, de but they won't see it. They won't know that's what it is because they're being professional. And they're, so for me, these are the two keys. And then that support worker goes, well, this has all got to go because they yeah. need it cleared in their yeah. heads so that they can feel safe. And then you react to that because they then open up your trauma. trauma. And what do you need? You need safety. So you just want to get rid of them. You're not going to let go of anything because this is your safety blanket. And all of this behavior is subconscious. Right. right. So we're all dealing in the dark. And once you start to understand this, this is what you can do. What you can do as an, a, a, an outsider coming into a hoarded home to help Mm -hmm. is reassure that's mm -hmm. what you that's what you are aiming to do first and foremost you're not going to threaten you're not going to cajole, cajole. You're not going to do anything you're going to get somebody talking to you not like a statistic you know but you're getting someone to talk to you as a human being and you're interested in their story and their journey and them as a person and then you'll learn do you have i mean you said it's it's in the body, uh, but do you have a, a definition that you'd like? Short definition, like a dictionary definition, but better than the dictionary definition of trauma? I haven't got one. I haven't found a good succinct way of saying it, but what I did hear today, which I thought was a brilliant way of describing it, mm -hmm. this the person I was reading, Peter Levine, is um, who's written a lot about trauma as well. He, um, he said, if you try to draw out somebody's trauma too fast to look at it, then he said, it's a bit like, he said, if you have a, a jar of hydrochloric acid and a jar of lye, mm -hmm. then if you put those together straight away, they will explode. Uh. But if you drip, they call it titration. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. dripping. Yeah. If you drip a little bit of one into the other, bit by bit by bit 
Mm -hmm. it will then form salt, which is why you're putting them together in the first place. In the first place, place yeah. So yeah. this is exactly, and I love that as an analogy because that is exactly how you help somebody. So you reassure, and then mm -hmm. bit by bit, you look at little ways, so little drops of reassurance that allows people to slowly but surely look at the fact that they are in an anxious and traumatised state. I like a good analogy. I tell you, I've got one now. It's, yeah. it's a fourth-rate one, fifth-rate one, probably. On, but if you take a picture with a Polaroid camera and you snap it out and try and look at that picture straight away, you ain't going to see a picture. You have to wait a bit of time for the yeah. Polaroid picture to develop. It's not as good as the salt analogy, though, I'm afraid. No, but it's true. I mean, it's. I like the salt one because yeah. it is dangerous to try and force somebody to talk about a traumatic event because it, it because of the physicality of it, it can properly overwhelm people who are PTSD. Mm. It, we, you know, you can see how people who have PTSD will shake, will you know, all involuntarily. Well, that's all in your body. Mm. You know, it is a fascinating. And if you look at the animal kingdom, that's where they learned all this stuff. Because mm. animals play dead, play possum, you know, do all these things, and then they shake, shake it off and run away. But that's the bit that we can't do anymore. We can't shake it off. We can't run away because we're, we're reacting to an ancient... We're, we're civilised. Yeah, well, exactly, but that's back to, that's back to the <laughs> kind guy, isn't it? Civilised. Yeah. Civilised, mate. But, unlike yeah, so the, that's, unlike that's the bonobos... The bonobos, you know, if they're threatened, they um, fornicate. If they, if they feel happy, they uh, they fornicate. They're brilliant. If, if nothing's I, happening on Wednesday, fornicate. They, they fornicate. But they and also then, do other things. They they look after each other's children. Yeah, yeah. You know, they they aren't aggressive at all, probably because they're too busy having sex. But it really doesn't matter. Whereas chimps that are almost identical to bonobos are just the opposite. Yeah, yeah. They're territorial. Yeah vicious you know, argue all the time have got a terrible hierarchy that is you know keeps them fighting so well, I, I think I, there is there is an element of fairness because i remember hearing about uh, um two chimps being given rewards for whatever the exercise was that they were doing and one was given something it was you know, a fairly nice thing, like a carrot i don't know what chimps eat banana there we go banana it's given a banana and uh, the other chimp, for the same experiment, was given a grape. And apparently grapes are much better. They're nicer, right? They're more and the initial, the initial one went, what the hell is this bit of banana then? Come on, he got grapes. Give me a break. <laughs> oh, what? So, and, and the, the, the monkey that was given the grape was obviously Boris Johnson, because that's how our society works. He gets all the grapes. He gets all the grapes. He probably gets them peeled as well. <laughs> so back to trauma. Yeah. Um, so the other side of this is building resilience against the bodily reactions of, 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 of trauma and anxiety. And the way to do that, so the, the, the little drips that you're giving are little drips of teaching people to be happy or safe so safety comes when you feel balanced and able to mm -hmm. 
listen to people's conversations and understand them. That you're not in a state of panic. You don't want to run away because when you're anxious, fight or flight literally is that. That's what you're getting ready to do. You want to be in a state of calm or, you know, you, you just want to be not reacting to things. So secure, really. Yes, yes, exactly. And obviously not permanently because that would be just too... But you Boring, need to, wouldn't it? Yes, but you need to know what triggers you might have for a start and, um, and then how to have your foot in both camps, if you like, how to be able to notice anxiety but to go, but actually, I know what to do with this. I know that I need to deep breathe. I know I'll just do a bit more meditation. Or what was that thing that I told myself I would think about? Because every time I think about that, I feel good. And so this leads me to one of the things that um, we're going to put on the podcast, but we'll call it podcast number 20, shall we, David? Um which is a yeah. meditation. It's a 40-minute meditation, which sounds really very long, but it's not. It's lovely. It's guided. And it's called Mental Cleanse. Um, and the music in the background has sort of brain wavy type stuff in that will make you, that will really go. What is it, where is it, it binaural, is it? So, well, it's not. It's got a different name, but I can't remember what it is. Right. Um, but it does, it does affect the delta waves i want to say in your brain but um yeah have a listen to that and see if you enjoy it because it's a visualization um meditation as well so done by a, a, a guy called luigi chambarella who is um somebody who i uh do some work with but I, his meditations are brilliant and i just love he's just got a certain turn of phrase that is just right. really useful just works yeah. Mental cleanse gets rid of 99.5% of mental dirt. It's a bit like mental floss, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, so let's hope you have a good floss. Has your mental brush not been working? Use <laughs> mental cleanse. cleanse. <laughs> this should be an advert. Definitely. An advert. Well, maybe we'll get there. You never know. So Mental cleanse. But on that note, I think... Um, I'm going to say good night. And yeah. um, I hope this waffling has been useful. And Dave is right. I need to find a succinct sentence to describe. I think it would be good. There must be somebody out there that's come up with one. And if they haven't, maybe somebody who's listening. Well, any could... ideas are always welcome. Yeah. So that would be great. And any that, that, um, is always welcome. What's that thing that they email? Yeah. Yeah. Email. Right? Email help at cloudsend.org.uk or david don't, at cloudsend.org.uk. Don't write to me because I'll never see it. I'll never right. see it. As a, will. As a, <laughs> write to help. Help is me. Help is me. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, on that note, thank you for listening to The Wafflings. Um, mm -hmm. I hope you do some cleansing and I hope it's been interesting for you. And as Dave said, yeah, please do get in touch if you're listening. Thank you.